You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are going to answer the question, are probiotics beneficial? And this question actually came from the herd, I think. Right, Andrea? Mm -hmm. We got this question a lot. All the time. (laughs) All the time, right. So we're going to dig into the science of whether or not probiotics are actually beneficial. Before we do that, we'll do a brief recap of last week's episode. So it was the second part of our series on e-cigarettes. So in the first part, we talked quite a bit about nicotine, but in this second part we talked about some other health concerns associated with e-cigarettes we talked about popcorn lung we talked about the different flavorings and chemicals in the flavorings that could be harmful and then we we dug into the literature on whether or not you know do they actually help with smoking cessation do they lead to smoking initiation among non-smokers and among youth And then we spoke a little bit about regulation. So I think it was a really great episode. We got some good feedback. If you haven't listened to it, we strongly encourage you to check that out. And I have to say, Jess, you know, I didn't realize the topic of e-cigarettes was going to be as controversial as it ended up being. We posted a a couple of things on our social media channels, and there were some people with very strong opinions about the, (laughs) the data we were sharing. Well, yeah, yeah. And then I guess another piece of it was, so we did a post on popcorn lung, which of course was relevant to the episode. And we got some people who were really pissed off about that. And, you know, we acknowledged, (laughs) yeah, e-cigarettes might be helpful for some smokers um, who are trying to either cut down or quit completely, but that's not necessarily true across the board. And so we had some folks for whom e-cigarettes were helpful who were very upset with us for posting anything negative about (laughs) e-cigarettes. And then some folks from outside the U.S. And I guess, you know, um, the diacetyl, which is the ingredient that that we talked about, is causing popcorn lung that's been banned in e-cigarettes in I think it was the European Union and the Mm -hmm. UK and possibly some some other places but not yet in the United States and so anyway that was something else that that came up in our very angry DMs Um, okay, so before we dig in, I think we need to talk about Patreon. Yeah. So do you, Andrea, can you maybe just talk about why we started a Patreon? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, if you've been a regular listener to our pod, um, you know that we release episodes every single week. You may or may not know that we also host social media pages, including on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we dabble in Twitter. And we put out almost daily, sometimes even more than once a day, posts that are either compliments to our weekly episodes or they're kind of completely separate and very focused on COVID-19. And, um, you know, while we do have a team of volunteer interns along with with us, it's a huge undertaking. We've amassed about 100,000 followers kind of collectively, and we simply cannot respond to all the messages anymore so you know the goal of the patreon is really to give people who really want to support the page and the pod um, an outlet in order to connect with us directly and be a little bit more of an intimate group within our little science communication community so can I talk a little bit about the different tier options that we have? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> tier one is the herd. And so if you sign up, you'll get access to a private Facebook group that we are obviously a part of, and it'll be a direct line to us. So we're going to actually cut down on our um, responsiveness to our general social media channels. It's just too overwhelming. And frankly, we're also flooded with hate mail, which often drowns 
hands out some sincere and genuine questions. So you'll get access to this private group where you'll have, again, direct access to us. Um, you'll also have private access to live Q&As that we host. You'll also get a custom sticker pack or a car magnet. And you'll also get um, discount codes throughout the year to our merch. Next is the tier two is the lab rats. So you'll get everything from the um, from tier one, the herd. Plus, you'll also get a custom science themed T-shirt. You'll get access, unlimited access to our high resolution infographics, which are now for sale on our website. You'll get 10% off merchandise. And lastly, what I think is actually really cool is that we'll have polls where you'll be able to vote on podcast topics. And then finally, tier three, the mad scientists. You'll get everything from the lab rats, but you'll also get access to a quarterly behind the scenes with Andrea and me (laughs) to share cocktails or mocktails and to talk about science. And we'll also dish on some of our um, most not safe for work dirty DMs. And trust me, there are plenty. (laughs) You'll also get a shout out at the end of our podcast episodes and a special thank you recording from Andrea and myself and no matter which tier you sign up for you'll be supporting this cause and supporting credible science as Andrea said we are pouring ourselves into this it's a volunteer effort and um you know by 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 signing up for Patreon you will be um you know supporting our continued work allowing us to continue offering the podcast running our websites and operating our social media pages so thank you in advance Absolutely. Um, you know, and I I think, you know, if you've really been enjoying this, you know, we get so many heartfelt messages. You know, the the monthly contributions are are pretty nominal. Um, we do understand that not everybody has a budget. You can actually choose to um, contribute a smaller amount than even our lowest tier. You won't get access to the extra benefits, but you will help us um, offset, you know, the recording costs and the podcast hosting fees and all that sort of stuff, too. So go check uh, it out. You, oops, sorry. <laughs> were you go? Were you going to tell them where they can uh, find? Yeah, us? but like, you could go ahead. <laughs> so it's patreon.com, which is p a t r e o n dot com slash unbiased science, and you can also um, access our Patreon via our website, which is unbiasedscipod.com. All right, Andrea, let's talk probiotics, what they are, do they help us? Can you get us started here and talk about what they are? Yeah, absolutely. So probiotics is a term for, it's a catch-all for supplements that include live microorganisms, and these are typically bacteria that are purported to improve our health. So the question becomes, do they really? And so the official term for probiotics are live biotherapeutic products, and again, they contain live microorganisms, um, and these are typically that are microorganisms that are already found in humans. And so the most common are um, bacterial species that are in the genus Lactobacillus or Bifidobacterium. And probiotics are a combination of these bacteria that la- naturally live in our body. But, you know, the question becomes, is consuming these the same as what we see with these microorganisms that already live inside of our body? So bacteria are typically viewed in a negative context when we talk about infections and taking antibiotics and things like that. However, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but we have this organization of microorganisms within our body called the microbiome, and these are bacteria that live in and on our body. It also includes fungal species, which include yeasts. It also includes viruses, and it it can also include protozoan, which are eukaryotic microorganisms. But this is a diverse community. These microorganisms that are part of our microbiome are actually typically in a symbiotic or a mutually beneficial relationship with us. And they live on our body, so on our skin. They live in different compartments of our body. Um, like the mouth, like the gastrointestinal tract, like the vaginal canal. And 
everybody has a different microbiome. So while there are different classes of microorganisms that are routinely found as components of the microbiome, the actual uh, proportions are going to vary person by person. And that's true even with identical twins. Um, Some of it is, is dependent on genes. Some of it is dependent on environmental exposure. Some of it can even be affected by the foods we consume, the illnesses we have, and all sorts of other things. So the microbiome is is kind of what set the stage for all the attention within the probiotic realm. And so as microbiology researchers began to understand the implications of the microbiome. So there's, um, oh, I won't get too much into it, but there's a (laughs) phenomenon called microbial antagonism. And basically what that means is the good bacteria that live in and on your body um, actually help you fend off colonization by dangerous bacteria or dangerous viruses. So they basically antagonize any sort of invaders by already taking up residence within your body or on your body. And so, you know, we understand that this microbiome is very, very important for human health and to maintain this regulation of our body that we call homeostasis. And that is particularly true for the gut microbiome. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go, you you go. go. No, I feel like you could go on and on. I sure could. That's right. (laughs) I sure could. No, no, no. So I I was just going to jump in and say, so for a microbe to be classified as a probiotic, I guess there are some specific characteristics, right? Which include that they have to be able to be isolated from a human. They have to survive in your intestine after ingestion or after being eaten. They have a they have to have a proven benefit to you and they have to be safely consumed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Andrew, I think you you were starting to talk about this, and I can't wait to hear more, but I know I hear so much about the microbiome now and, and about probiotics. These are just like buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know that there is increasing evidence that there's some sort of an association between the gut microbiota. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't yep. know if I'm Okay. To both gastrointestinal, but also extra gastrointestinal diseases. So things out, you know, not necessarily related to, to our GI tract. So any sort of a disruption in gut microbiota has been linked to causing several mental illnesses, for example. I'm hearing that more and more, including anxiety and depression, which we know are um, very prevalent in society today. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, 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 go on, go on. I, I was going to say, you know, I, I think this this brings up an important point because, you know, we don't fully understand the scope of why these correlations exist. We do understand some of the potential mechanisms, but unfortunately, a lot of the early data that has kind of demonstrated these linkages have also paved the way for pseudoscience. And so I think we're going to talk about some of that in future episodes, like the myth of leaky gut syndrome and things like that. But but the gut microbiome is certainly important. Um, you have all of these bacterial species that live in your gastrointestinal tract. Most of them actually live in the colon with very few living in the stomach, which is a very highly acidic and and not habitable environment um, and, and very few also living in the small intestine. And we know that some of these bacterial species actually help us with nutrient absorption and nutrient metabolism. They also help us produce certain vitamins that we can't synthesize ourselves, such as vitamin K. That's a very common example that we use. And vitamin K is needed for proper coagulation of blood. This can be found in food products, but bacteria that live in our gut are actually able to synthesize a version of it called menaquinone. Um, And so we know that these gut microorganisms are important, but the question becomes, 
does eating, you know, outside bacteria in the form of a probiotic supplement actually help, you know, if you have any sort of disproportionate gut species. And so, you know, I think it's important to understand that not all bacteria are the same. So within the gut microbiome, there are four main phyla of bacterial species. And so these are kind of umbrella families of additional species. The four phyla are Firmicutes, Bacterioidetes, Actinobacteria, and Proteobacteria. And the most common species within those phyla are the are of the genus or the genera Bacteroides, Clostridium, Fecalobacterium, Eubacterium, Ruminococcus, Peptococcus, Peptostreptococcus, and Bifidobacterium. You don't have to know all of those, but the key thing is to understand that there's a wide diversity of different bacterial species. And there's other genera such as Escherichia. You've probably heard of that in the context of E. coli. That's only one of the many Escherichia species. And also Lactobacillus, which you've probably heard a lot of about in the context of yogurts. Um, These are also naturally present in our gut. But it's important to understand that, you know, for example, species from the genus Bacteroides are about 30% of all the bacteria in our gut. And so, you know, if you look at it kind of epidemiologically, that suggests that that particular genus of bacterial species may be very important um, with regard to our health. 99% of the bacteria in our guts come from about 30 to 40 total species. And bacteria actually make up 60% of the dry mass of our feces. So they, they actually outnumber our human cells 100 to 1 in our body. Andrew, we're going to need an entire episode dedicated to poop. I'm fine with that. I <laughs> It's a fascinating topic and there's a lot more besides just bacteria, but but anyway, so this is kind of setting the stage for why probiotics have gotten so much attention because we know that the gut bacteria are important. We know that dysregulation of them can lead or is linked to other medical conditions or medical issues. We know that certain bacteria are critical for helping to metabolize certain nutrients and and absorption of calories and synthesis of vitamins. So that's kind of, you know, setting the stage here. And it really is an industry, right, Jess? You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of the regulation and the testing, but um, the number of adults in the U.S. taking either probiotics or the prebiotics, which are basically um, fibers that kind of facilitate the growth of bacteria, more than quadrupled from 2007 to 2012, from 865,000 people in the U.S. to over 4 million people in the U.S. And a recent consulting firm took a poll and found that the global probiotics market exceeded $35 billion in 2015, and it it is predicted that it's actually going to reach $66 billion uh, by 2024. And there are so many different reasons that people take probiotics. Um, the main ones um, that I that I've heard about are to help with you know diarrhea and or constipation to sort of reg- quote unquote regulate your your GI. Um, also uh, for yeast infections. So if you are let's say taking an antibiotic, which of course is going to kill some of the the the, well it's going to kill some of the bad bacteria in your body but it's also going to kill some of the good bacteria in your body so people are taking probiotics to sort of again I'm using air quotes here you can't see it but to like replenish the good bacteria Mm -hmm. especially if you are taking antibiotics and you're concerned about things like uh, developing a yeast infection so we're going to talk about that now Andrea one thing that you mentioned in passing and I and I think um, you have some some more information to share Mm -hmm. here is that you know you mentioned that the stomach is such a highly acidic environment it's not exactly welcoming so the first thing that I thought about is if you're taking probiotics are they even going to survive you know are they going to make it to (laughs) that's it it's a great question so you know and I want to kind of you know talk a little bit about it because there there are kind of two different routes right that we can replenish our gut bacteria and the first is taking these oral supplements through probiotics or through eating foods that have what we call live and active cultures and cultures is just what we use as a term for bacterial cultures Um, so things like yogurts or fermented foods like kimchi and and stuff like that 
But yes, the stomach is a very hot, you know, inhospitable, acidic environment. It it kills the vast majority of things that we consume. And so that's why even if something, even if a food is spoiled as, as um, you know, as we say colloquial, meaning it's contaminated with bacteria, we, we infrequently get ill from that because our stomach is kind of that first line of defense. It has a very high level of acidity, meaning it has a low pH, and that's able to kill most microorganisms that could make us sick, but even these beneficial ones. And our gut itself has almost 40 trillion bacterial cells in it, uh, and the, most of them reside in the colon, which is part of that large intestine. And when we talk about actual probiotics – you know, these these capsules or these yogurts or things like that, there's only about 100 million or maybe a few hundred billion bacteria that are in these. So we're talking about orders of magnitude smaller than, than what's in our gut. So it, it really is a drop in the bucket compared to what, what's already living in our body. And so that kind of, you know, should make people wary of, you know, is this really going to be doing anything when we consider this hostile stomach environment plus the fact that the dose of these bacteria are completely insignificant in the scope of what's already living in our body? And I think the last thing that's important is that when we talk, and we'll get more into the regulation of different companies and probiotic supplements, but companies that are producing probiotics, they aren't necessarily growing the specific bacteria that's already in a person's gut and and we all we know that there's person to person variation on what species are living in there but a lot of times they're just growing the ones they know how to grow or the ones that are easier to grow or the ones that have less issues with potential contamination and so it doesn't necessarily even mean that replenishing with that species, like some species of lactobacillus or some species of bifidobacterium, are actually going to help our gut in any in any tangible manner. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, they're not all the same. There's obviously quality control issues that we're going to get into, um, you know, but of course, that's something to keep in mind as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should kind of get to the punchline here which is so the question is are probiotics beneficial mm-hmm. and we did a lit search and basically what we found is that the majority of studies to date have failed to reveal any significant benefits in people who are already healthy mm-hmm. now there do, there is some evidence that shows that probiotics can help people who have, uh, you know, who are suffering from some very specific intestinal disorders. But if you have a normal gastrointestinal tract, there's really no evidence that shows that there's any real benefit from taking probiotics. Yeah, and there was a um, a meta-analysis that was performed in 2016, and this actually looked at seven randomized controlled trials that were investigating a uh, probiotic supplements. So these were dietary supplements, so capsules. They were also milk-based drinks, and they were also food-based supplements. Whether or not those supplements led to a change in the diversity or the species proportion of bacteria and fecal samples. And only one of those studies, and that was only with 34 people, actually found a change in the proportion of bacteria in fecal samples, but even amongst that study, there was no indication that it actually provided a a physical or a clinical benefit to health. And so, yeah, as Jess just said, there's a lack of evidence that if you are a healthy individual, that probiotics actually confer confer any sort of health benefit to you. So in, in the research that I came across, the best case for probiotic therapy has been in the treatment of diarrhea. So I came across some controlled trials that showed that lactobacillus can shorten the course of infectious diarrhea in infants and in children, although I didn't see a lot of evidence among adults. The adult studies looked to be limited, data were inconsistent, and so again, in children, it does seem that probiotics can reduce antibiotic-associated diarrhea um, by up to 60% when compared with a placebo. So, yeah, and and yeah, and I think it's important to note here that you know we're talking about diarrhea that's associated with an illness um, or with antibiotic treatment. So you are 
being impacted by other sorts of microorganisms. So, you know, by that logic, you could make the case if you were taking large amounts of normal routine gut microorganisms that it it could in theory help alleviate some of those symptoms it's not necessarily the case for diarrhea associated with other sorts of issues or things like that because we know diarrhea can be caused by a variety of things Um, and I think it's also important to note that not all probiotic supplements have the same amount of bacteria so you have to also factor in that a lot of those are going to die in your stomach and so that that dose is also important Mm mm-hmm also just wanted to mention there have been studies done on probiotic therapy for people with Crohn's disease and irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. So clinical trial results are mixed, um, but several small studies suggest that certain probiotics may help maintain remission of ulcerative colitis and prevent relapse of Crohn's disease and the recurrence of, can you pronounce this? I have no idea. Pukaitis? Am I saying that? I have no idea. Um, we're going to have to Google that, which is a complication of surgery to treat ulcerative colitis. And, you know, these are really unpleasant disorders that people deal with. They could be very frustrating to treat. So many people who suffer from them, they basically, they, they give probiotics a try, you know, even before, let's say we have definitive evidence showing that they're actually helpful. You know, they're kind of wanting to try something to, to resolve their symptoms, but really more more research is needed to find out which strains work best and for what conditions all right should we dig into more research I know we have some yeah let's talk here. a little bit more yeah. about like antibiotic associated diarrhea so something that is very common particularly with young children are C. diff infections and so this is actually caused by a bacterium called Clostridium difficile but we abbreviate it C. diff and this is a very very common um, nosocomial infection which is a hospital acquired infection meaning um, someone is ill or someone is in the hospital for another medical issue they're they're given broad spectrum antibiotics and so broad spectrum mean that they affect many different types of bacteria and so what ends up happening is you reduce the risk of say surgery associated infection but you also wipe out a lot of these healthy bacteria that are living in the gut and now that you no longer have that phenomenon that microbial antagonism I was talking about this gives pathogenic bacteria so pathogenic bacteria just bacteria that can cause illness in humans Um, the chance to take over and it's very common with C. diff and C. diff has actually been evolving antibiotic resistance so it gets more and more difficult to treat and to eliminate and particularly in young children it can be very very dangerous Um, Um, so Jess you want to talk about some of the reviews for these types of antibiotic associated diarrhea situations Sure. There are there are several different reviews here. There was one from 2017. So across the 17 studies included, there were about 30, uh, 3,600 total participants. And these were people who were not hospitalized. It indicated that giving probiotics to patients along with antibiotics was associated with a decrease of about half in the likelihood of antibiotic-associated diarrhea. However, this conclusion is actually considered tentative because the quality of the studies that were included in the review were only moderate. Patients who were given probiotics had no more side effects than patients who did not receive them. So worth noting that. Again, probiotics, I know we we talked about it earlier, um, they may be helpful for antibiotic-associated diarrhea in in young people, in children, um, but the benefit has not been demonstrated in elderly people. So I thought that was interesting. So there was a 2016 review of 30 studies, so over 7,000 participants across studies, and five of those studies focused on people um, age 65 or older and the the studies that focused on these the you know 65 and older population they weren't really all that conclusive they didn't provide any evidence that probiotics actually were helpful to people who were elderly so it's really not clear whether or not there's actually no effect or maybe the the quality of the studies is poor but worth noting that that evidence has not been established um, in the older populations so anything else to add here Andrea or should we move on to some other 
uses. Um, I guess, I guess you know, just to quickly summarize, so, you know, as of right now, there's limited data to suggest that probiotic supplementation is useful for conditions such as antibiotic-induced diarrhea. It seems that the data that there is available um, seems to support a possible moderate benefit to young children, but there doesn't seem to be enough evidence to support the use of probiotic therapy for adults, especially elderly people. Is that kind of a good summary? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I know one of the studies, sorry, and I didn't mention this, one of the reviews did include um, adults through middle age, and again, it was sort of moderate, as you just said, um, but really the 65 and older is where the evidence was very poor. So yes, Mm. everything you said was accurate. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I've had to take many antibiotics in my lifetime for whatever reason. I'm always having some issue. (laughs) And this is going to be TMI, but I do tend to develop yeast infections after I take antibiotics. And, you know, some people say that probiotics may be helpful in maintaining urogenital health. Um, They may be helpful to prophylactically, if you're taking antibiotics, to, to prevent yeast infection. But we have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, much like the intestinal tract, the vagina is a finely balanced ecosystem. And Andrea, I'm sure you can talk about, you know, the, the actual microbiology of it. But I know that the, the dominant lactobacilli strains normally make it just like the stomach, right? Too mm-hmm. acidic for harmful microorganisms to survive. Yeah, and also we have all sorts of secretions and mucous membranes in the the vaginal tract that ensure that we're not colonized by unhealthy things. Um, you know, it's a self-cleaning organ and it's supposed to do those things. And th- we know that there's a lot of societal stigma associated with that, but but it does what it's supposed to do. You don't have to, you know do extra things you don't have to use products like douches and things like that and in fact those can actually be more detrimental than beneficial as well right and how my goodness they market so many of these things to us right special Mm -hmm. soaps and sprays and deodorants and things like that that can actually be harmful yes um and, and so the system can actually be thrown out of balance by a number of factors, some of the things that you just mentioned, and antibiotics, of course, also spermicides and birth control pills. So some people say that probiotic treatment can <laughs> restore the balance of the microflora that may be helpful um, for some common female urogenital problems such as bacterial vaginosis, yeast infection, or uh, urinary tract infection, or UTI. Mm-hmm. So much so, and I know you have a bone to pick with this, Andrea, we're <laughs> going to talk about this, that so many women there's this old wife well okay we'll talk about whether it's an old wives tale but where they're eating yogurt or they're actually inserting it vaginally to treat recurring yeast infections so this this is really a folk remedy and there's not a whole lot of scientific evidence to support this and it can actually be dangerous so yogurt you know even unsweetened yogurt has natural sugars and sugars can fuel yeast growth and might actually make matters worse for you so this is not recommended yeah I mean it's it's just there's so many issues behind this like you know you've got a self-cleaning organ that's you know it's not sterile but it but it has its own microbiome within the vagina you know food is not sterile you know yogurt have live cultures because it's yogurt but it also has other things that fall into yogurt once you open it from the air you know it's not no just please do not put yogurt in your vagina oh my god 
Oh my goodness, I love you are so funny. Um, that grinds your gears. Okay. <laughs> but I think the biggest issue is aside from the obvious, yes, aside from the obvious risks of putting yogurt in your vagina, there are no data to support the use of probiotics either oral or otherwise for vaginal health related issues. For yeast infections, you take antifungals because yeast are fungal infections and you take antibiotics for bacterial vaginosis. Those are the treatments for those medical conditions. Mm-hmm. So there was a recent meta-analysis, right, of 10 studies in the Journal of Pediatric Urology that found that probiotics did not have a beneficial effect in reducing the incidence or recurrence of UTI among children. So I know we're, we're talking about a bunch of different things here, but all kind of relevant to the urogenital, vaginal, <laughs> vaginal health Exactly. And really the evidence just is not there. Correct, correct. Okay, anything else to add here before we talk about some other, you know, purported uses of (laughs) probiotics? No, I think, you know, obviously, you know, these are, again, specific instances. There are some data that suggests that there may be some small benefits for specific medical issues, like we talked about antibiotic-induced diarrhea in young children, and and so we're going to talk about a couple of other examples next. Yeah. So another thing that I saw come up quite a bit when it, you know, when I did my search was colic. So if you've been around infants, you know what colic is. It's excessive, unexplained crying. Um, Babies with colic can cry for three or more hours per day, but they eat well and they grow normally. And, And really colic is not all that well understood Um, but studies have shown differences in the microbial community in the digestive tract between infants who have colic and those who don't so you know this suggests that microorganisms may be involved in colic so there was a 2018 review of seven studies with just under 500 participants of probiotics for colic and five of which included the probiotic lactobacillus Oh, help me out here, Andrea. Reutery. Reutery. Okay. And it found that this probiotic was associated with successful treatment, which in this review is defined as reduction of more than half in daily crying time. However, this effect was mainly seen in exclusively breastfed in infants. And I think, Jess, it's important to note that the microbiome of every human evolves over time. So, you know, the general school of thought is that an infant's microbiome starts to really develop upon birth, although there are some limited data that suggest that some colonization in the gut in particular may start when when they're still in utero from the placenta and other things. But, you know, it's hard, it's going to be hard to kind of normalize for that in a study like this when you're looking at infants with colic because, they're also undergoing a rapid development of their immune system and the immune system development is very impacted by the normal bacteria that we encounter in our environments, which include, you know, in our homes, around other people we live with, even around your pets. Um, And all of those things actually help to form your own personal unique microbiome. Mm Mm-hmm. Very important point. Thank you, Andrea. What else? I I guess the last thing I'll I'll say is that there was also a review um, of four studies with just under 400 participants, uh, again, related to to colic and infants, and it included repeated physical examinations and blood tests in infants with colic who were given a a probiotic, um, as well as parents' reports of symptoms, and it found no harmful effects. So, again, sort of like maybe possibly helpful you know no strong evidence um no harmful effects seen in this particular review that i'm mentioning so i don't know i'm not getting any strong evidence here uh, it's not yeah i mean the the data is not are not super convincing so one other thing that came up in the search was something called necrotizing enterocolitis so this is a serious and sometimes fatal disease that occurs in premature infants and it involves injury or damage to the intestinal tract causing death of intestinal tissue its exact cause is unknown but an abnormal reaction to food components and the micro 
microorganisms that live in a premature baby's digestive tract are thought to possibly play a role. So there was a study, it was actually a review in 2017 um, of 23 studies over 7,000 infants, and it showed that probiotics helped to prevent necrotizing enterocolitis in very low birth weight infants. However, the results of individual studies varied. Um, Some showed benefit, but not all. Probiotics that include both lactobacillus and bifidobacterium seemed to produce the best results, but it was not possible to identify the most beneficial strains um, within these large groups of bacteria. So, okay, what should we, should we move on here? Do you want to talk a little bit about different types of probiotics? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions that we got, so maybe this is our herd from the herd, even though the whole topic is kind of herd from the herd, is, um, you know, we got many, many people who who have heard that the refrigerated probiotics are more beneficial than the shelf-stable um, or room-temperature probiotics. And, you know, again, I think it's important to reiterate the fact that there are all of these different species of bacteria that live in in and on our body, that live in our gut. Um, if we're talking exclusively about the gut microbiome, you know, these probiotics are, are frequently touted to help replenish that. Um, we know that there are upwards of 40 trillion bacteria already living in our gut. So, you know, the data are very mixed and and there is not a robust body of evidence that suggests that probiotics are beneficial for healthy individuals. Um, but of course, then we also have different types, right? So which species are you consuming in your probiotic? How much of those species? And, and these companies use Uh, a term called CFUs, which stand for colony forming units, which are basically, you know, number of bacterial cells. Um, But of course, some can be refrigerated and some can be not. And, And ultimately, whether a probiotic is refrigerated or not depends on the growth state of the bacteria and how it's prepared. So bacteria have several stages of growth. The first is called the lag phase, which is when the bacteria are kind of preparing to grow very rapidly, but they're consuming nutrients and they haven't really caught up yet. And then we have the the log phase, which is our exponential phase of growth. And then we have our stationary phase where they essentially plateau once they've consumed all the nutrients. And so typically a, a freeze-dried bacterial culture is going to be shelf stable, meaning you've removed the moisture and the bacteria kind of frozen in time. These are also tending to be in lag phase, meaning they're in that slow phase of growth. Whereas our refrigerator cultures, these are typically our live or our log phase probiotics. So often these are going to be food products. They could be yogurts or they could be a a refrigerator uh, vial. Um, But the other thing is, is that If it's refrigerator stable, it needs to stay at that temperature throughout storage, throughout transit, throughout transport, you know, at the store once it gets to your house. And so a lot of times these probiotics can be improperly stored. And so by the time you actually eat it, it, there's not any live microorganisms left to begin with. On top of that, the refrigerator stable um, probiotics, because they're in log phase, meaning the bacteria are actively reproducing, these often could be viewed as more fragile um, and they may actually be less likely to survive that very acidic trip through our stomach and our gastrointestinal tract. So ultimately, uh, one is not more beneficial than another. Um, We're going to talk very in just a minute about regulation of probiotics, but depending on how they're marketed, there can be very little regulation on the probiotic. So you can't just assume because one is refrigerated and one is not, it's going to be inherently better than the other. There are a lot of other factors to consider, you know, on top of the storage itself. That is so interesting. I do, I hear all the time that people think that the, um, you know, the refrigerated uh, probiotics are somehow more beneficial. I don't know, because they seem, I guess, more like special, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, it's important to to understand too is that, you know, because these are in in live growth phase, um, they're consuming nutrients more quickly in, in whatever growth medium or, you know, substance they're in. And so they have a shorter um, shelf life. So, you know, not only do they need to be stored in the fridge, but they're going to expire uh, more quickly. Whereas the freeze-dried ones are going to be um, 
obviously more shelf, more temperature stable, but also um, longer shelf life typically. But again, I wouldn't say one or the other is going to be better than the other because it's going to depend on how many bacteria, how were they prepared, how were they grown, what species are they, what, what your physical microbiome is. And so there isn't ever really going to be, I think, a one-size-fits-all probiotic that's really going to show kind of universal benefit. So let's talk a little bit about how probiotics are regulated in the U.S. So government regulation of probiotics is complex, uh, and it really all depends on the probiotic product's intended use. Um, So the FDA might regulate it as a dietary supplement, a food ingredient, or a drug. So many probiotics are sold as dietary supplements, which don't require FDA approval before they're marketed. Dietary supplement labels may make claims about how the product affects the structure or function of the body without FDA approval, but they aren't allowed to make health claims. So they can't say, for example, that the supplement lowers your risk of getting a disease uh, without the FDA's consent. If a probiotic is going to be marketed as a drug for treatment of a disease or a disorder, it has to meet much stricter requirements. So it must be proven safe and effective for its intended use through clinical trials and be approved by the FDA before it can be sold. If a probiotic is intended to diagnose, cure, mitigate, treat, or prevent a human disease, it is regulated as a drug and a biological product by the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research and an investigational new drug application is required to pursue clinical studies in human volunteers. Now, while over-the-counter probiotics generally are viewed as safe, um, at least in healthy individuals, clinical studies to assess probiotics may be conducted in individuals who, you know, maybe they're immunocompromised, um, maybe they're taking an immunosuppressive clinical treatment, or they have an immature or aging immune system. So should we talk a little bit about well, I don't, did you want to talk about quality control issues, actually, before we talk about... Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's important okay. to understand why, why, you know, generally, for example, those those four trials that you um, referred to when they were assessing the efficacy of probiotics in infants with colic, there were no harmful effects. Generally, with, with relatively healthy individuals, it's unlikely that there are going to be very obvious harmful effects. Um, We also have to consider the fact that because many are sold as dietary supplements, which don't have FDA approval and stringent review and things like that, we also have to understand that there are going to be very similar quality control issues that we experience with uh, vitamin and nutritional supplements. And so that is something to consider, Um, you know, on top of the fact that as long as they're stored properly and prepared properly, these are live microorganisms. And while they're generally considered to be our commensals are symbiotic microorganisms um you know certain certain medical issues or certain underlying conditions it could it could be risky so we have to say our little disclaimer here you absolutely have to talk to your own healthcare provider before starting a probiotic supplement of, of any kind you know we have seen probiotics they they may trigger allergic reactions they can cause um, some mild stomach upset diarrhea flatulence bloating and there are also certain people who really need to use caution when using probiotics there's a risk of infection in some people and those include again people with a weakened immune system for example someone um, getting chemotherapy treatment anyone with a critical illness people who've recently had surgery and definitely you should use caution when giving probiotics to 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 very sick infants and actually earlier what I didn't mention um, when we were talking about probiotics for for necrotizing enterocolitis um, if, if you recall those were um, you know treating 
necro- necrotizing enteral- enterocolitis in very low birth weight infants, um, some there were some harmful effects in newborns. So there were actually several instances where babies developed bloodstream infections from microorganisms intentionally included in a probiotic product. In one case, unfortunately, a premature baby actually died after being infected with a mold that had contaminated a probiotic dietary supplement. Mm-hmm. So, so this is this could be very serious. You really have to run this by um, your 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 physician, your medical provider. And I think that underscores these quality control concerns too and that can happen at the stage of the production of the probiotic but it can also happen at the stage of the storage of the probiotic you know things especially things that include microorganisms um, particularly refrigerated ones that are going to have some sort of sustenance for the intended microorganisms um, that can also be a breeding ground quite literally for other contaminating microorganisms like molds or harmful bacterias too. So would you say the answer to the question, so the question we pose is, are probiotics beneficial? And the answer is, the the evidence is really not all that convincing, right? You know, for certain populations and for very specific, I don't know, sicknesses, disorders, I know we were talking about, let's say, um, diarrhea after taking antibiotics. Yes, there is some evidence, but it's not overwhelming evidence and certain subpopulations have to be very careful about starting probiotic. Yeah, and there were, I mean, there were other medical conditions that that we looked into too. Um, There were some reviews that were assessing the efficacy of probiotics for other kind of unrelated things like Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative disorders. And again, the the data just really isn't there. Um, you know, there may be some anecdotal reporting of, of some symptom alleviation, but there's no... There's no body of evidence that suggests that these are benefit probiotic supplements are are beneficial to certainly cure uh, these medical issues, but even alleviate some of the the condition itself. And if you're healthy, there really is no evidence to suggest that probiotics uh, are beneficial. And I think it's important because we know that these these dosages of probiotics and these supplements are so much smaller than the vast number of microorganisms already living in our body, you know, the best thing to do is to maintain a healthful lifestyle and a, and a diverse diet with fiber and, and nutrients and things like that. Okay, Andrea, you want to take us home? Sure. So thanks for joining us today. We hoped you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please also consider supporting our Patreon, um, where you can get a direct line of communication to Jess and myself and be a part of our little intimate science communication community. Um, You can also... Find that information on our website along with picking up some merch uh, or leaving us a donation at www.unbiasedscipod.com. Next week, since we have been discussing so much about COVID-19 vaccines on our social media pages, um, and we've done several podcast episodes on that, we're actually going to touch on the other side, treatments once someone has COVID-19. So we're going to talk about the current status of clinically proven treatments or treatments that actually shown efficacy in alleviating COVID-19 symptoms, as well as which ones are not effective. Um, We will, of course, continue to provide updates on the vaccine progress on our social media accounts, so be sure to follow us there on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah.